Good morning. Good to see everybody here. Would you stand with me, please, once more today? We are so grateful for all that the Lord is doing in our congregation. Beautiful song today. Your glory is so beautiful. Uh, yesterday was a beautiful day with a great number of ladies from several different churches uh, with the Priscilla Shire simulcast, um, Heather and Josh and a number of other folks. Dawn just did an enormous job pulling all that together. Uh, ladies, if you missed that yesterday, you missed a great event. It was a wonderful time together in the presence of the Lord. This morning we're at number 39. This is called Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And I want to jump right into Mark 15, verses 1 through 20 is the text. And I want to take time to look at this together this morning. You can just read along with me, not out loud, just follow along. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priest accused him of many things. Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Everybody say amazed. amazed. Now at the feast he used to release... Uh, for them one prisoner for whom they ask. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. Everybody say Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them, which is releasing the prisoner. Okay? And he answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. Everybody like your neighbor and say, Pilate's pretty smart. All right, so he's got this thing figured out. Uh, but the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put on his clothes, on his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. Bow your heads with me, please, for a word of prayer. Gracious God, we just thank you this morning for your glory, your love, your indescribable mercy and grace that you poured out upon us. We're thankful today. As we stand in this place, it is not in our own ability, our own strength. None of us are worthy. Thank you, Jesus Christ, what you have done for us so that we could come into the very presence of your Father. We just thank you today for the gift of God that's been given to us in eternal life. And as we celebrate this season in preparation for your crucifixion and your resurrection, Lord, we thank you today that you prepare our hearts, that you do a work of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. Drive these truths deep into the very soil of our soul. Let them bear fruit. Let us understand the incredible price that you paid for us, dying in our place for us and as us. God, we thank you for that. I just acknowledge before you and everyone listening that I cannot do anything. I'm, I'm nothing apart from you. 
Jesus, be all that you are. Let the gospel do what only it can do. I ask this in the name of Jesus and everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. I'm excited today as we jump into Mark again, number 39. You remember we've been talking about the gospel. The gospel is the history-making, life-changing good news of Jesus Christ. Mark is a disciple of Peter. He is actually telling Peter's own eyewitness testimony, his story. <coughs> the words that we read are those of the life living, uh, uh, lived, <laughs> lived by Peter and spoken by him. This morning there are a few things that I want to bring to, to bear in your understanding. As we begin, the first one is the way Jesus behaved before Pilate. Uh, the first point is this issue of the majestic silence of Jesus. Point number one. Everybody say Jesus was silent. And so uh, it literally says that so much so that Pilate was literally amazed. He asked him uh, and Jesus didn't make a defense for himself. He didn't. Uh, it's very, very strange, unusual. This is not something that typically we would do as humans. And I think that's the answer right there. Jesus had no need to defend himself. He had been brought before now three tribunals. He was called before the high priest, before Caiaphas, the chief priests. He was then taken to Pilate. Now Mark leaves out the little segment where Pilate sends him over to Herod and then Herod sends him back to Pilate. So what we're really kind of seeing here is all of this sort of combined in the Gospel of Mark. But he actually makes a visit. The other Gospels record that where Pilate sends him to Herod. And it says that up until that point in time that the two of those leaders actually had been at odds against each other and there was tension governmentally between them. But at this moment what happened uh, was they actually became friends. Kind of strange that... Uh, the crucifixion, the, the mock trial, the false accusation. Do you remember from last week that Jesus was brought before the high priest on trumped up charges? All the while, they're accusing him of being a false prophet. Peter is out in the courtyard of the high priest's home, warming his hands by the fire, being questioned by d girls that are servants of the high priest's household. And he's lying and he's swearing and he's denying Jesus doing everything that Jesus had just prophesied that he would do. The irony of Jesus being accused of being a false prophet while his prophecy was being fulfilled in that moment is just, uh, just so amazing to see this sandwich of these two things. We talked last week about two men tried, how Jesus kept his integrity, he maintained his integrity, and he lost his life. Peter worked to save his integrity, I'm sorry, to save his skin, and he lost his integrity. Uh, it's, it's obvious that we see the, 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 the distinction between how Jesus deals with circumstances and how we typically do as sinful men, as sinful human beings, sons and daughters of Adam. Jesus is silent. And so we ask the question, why silence? And, and you know, sometimes you, you don't have to even make a defense because silence itself has a way of shouting. It has a way of actually making a statement uh, a, a look and uh, ch choosing to not make a verbal response many times is the greatest response that can be given when there is not one necessary. I think silence is basically Jesus had said all he was going to say. He had already spoken judgment over Israel against the temple of God and, and against the circumstances that were bringing him to this place. 
He had already said all that he needed to say. And Pilate was amazed that he didn't take time to defend himself. Judgment had been pronounced and he knew that his words would stand. Isaiah 55, 11 says, So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void. It shall accomplish that which I please and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I have sent it. Jesus was the spoken word of God. He was the living, he was the active, live word made flesh. Had no reason to defend himself. He could have, as the song says, called 10,000 angels. He could have, with one word spoken, and the brightness of his presence could have obliterated and destroyed, burned them all up to a crispy crunch. But he chose, actively obeying the word of God, passively receiving the, the false accusations of men, and he was silent. He was not just silent because judgment had been pronounced or because he didn't have anything to say, but he was silent in order to fulfill prophecy. He was the Word of God made flesh and he lived it out before them. Listen to Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. There is a majestic side of this silence of Christ. And it leads us in to the next point this morning. And that is that literally what is going on in this circumstance is the preparation of the Passover lamb. Jesus Christ, point number two, is the Passover lamb. Say that out loud with me. Jesus Christ is the Passover lamb. Passover was the first high festival, the first high feast of the year on the Jewish calendar. And it commemorated what God had done under the Old Covenant federal head, Moses. God had raised up Moses, a prophet of God, and his brother Aaron to go in before Pharaoh. Pharaoh being a type of Satan, uh, Egypt being a type of the world, slavery picturing our bondage to sin. And God gave Moses a, a recipe. He gave him a strategy is the best word. He said, I want you to go out and kill a lamb for every house. Every house has to have a lamb. And when you apply the blood to the doorpost, the lintels of the doorpost of that house, literally over each side and one cross in the middle, they had a 3,000, 4,000 year picture, literally, that, gate that was emblazoned into their minds, into their understanding, so that when they would see three crosses on a hill called Golgotha, meaning the place of the skull, literally, where... Most of the struggles that we face are right up here in between our two ears in wrestling down principalities and powers and mentalities and thoughts and things that are wrestling against us. Jesus Christ was crucified at, at the place of the skull. Think about that. Three crosses to, 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 to hearken back to the memory that had been thousands of years in the making of generations of faithful Jews who had rehearsed this story to their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren over and over and over, every beginning of a new year. As a matter of fact, God made a calendar change through the direction of Moses and said, this is going to be the beginning of months for you. It was actually technically the third month in the civil calendar, but God said to Moses, tell them this is going to literally be mark a whole new time. And what this is the picture of is that when Christ becomes the Passover lamb in your life, you become a new creation. It is a picture of the old passing away and something entirely new having been birthed and made alive in your life. So this is, this is the, all of the stuff that had happened all of those years. Every time there was a Passover in the third month, 
It's the first month of the, the religious calendar. But it's the beginning of it, marking a new season, a new time. And every year, uh, lambs are slain. Door, doors have the application of the blood applied to them. There is the scent of blood in Jerusalem. You come to the, to the temple and you, you see all of these things happening. And high priests and, and chief priests, those that are the under uh, shepherds underneath them, are examining lambs. They're examining all of these sacrificial animals and they're looking for animals that are without spot or without defect. When you go back to Exodus chapter 12 verse 5, when the very first Passover took place, there was the commandment that you must use a, a lamb that is without spot or blemish. You couldn't use one that was crippled in the leg or blind in the eye or had, was missing a body part or was, was crippled or maimed or any kind of thing. You had to use the best of the flock. It had to be something without defect, without spot, without blemish. When Jesus goes before Pilate, it is literally the fulfillment of having been checked to see if there was a spot or a blemish. Do you remember what Pilate said about Jesus? He said, I find no what? I find no fault in him. He's saying, I've looked, I've examined him. There is no spot. There is no blemish. There is nothing that is crippled. There is nothing that is sinful. There is nothing that is improper. Pilate said, I find no fault in him. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. Actually, back in 18, it says this. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, verse 19, here it is, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So they picked up this idea of the Old Testament Passover lamb and the, the demand of it being a spotless, blemishless lamb. And the Bible says in verse 20 of 1 Peter 1, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. Now listen how the Apostle Paul picks up this same idea in 1 Corinthians. He says in chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. Leaven was a type or a picture of sin. As a matter of fact, the, the feast of Passover came in three small feasts, sub-feasts. And one of them was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And all of the faithful Jews had to get everything that had any leaven in it out of their houses because it was the picture of cleansing of sin, which is what only Jesus Christ can do. He's the Lamb and His blood is slain and He's the one who cleanses us from sin. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover Lamb, say that, Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. Say that line with me one more time. Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. So Paul picks it up in 1 Corinthians. Peter tells us he's a lamb without spot or blemish, connecting it back to the Exodus story of the Passover. It says, the leaven, it says Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. That's what God is looking for. A sincere heart, a proper motivation, truth in the inward parts, as the writer of the Psalms said, David. Sincere truth in our hearts. Third point this morning, grab this with me. What we're seeing happening here is that a just man is sentenced to death 
and a murdering rebel is set free. Read that out loud with me. A just man is sentenced to death and a murdering rebel is set free. You remember the, the, the acclamation, the scream, the shout because the high priest basically whipped up the crowd. They got everybody sort of on the, 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 the herd mentality of getting them screaming, crucify, crucify. Pilate asked the question. It's been the custom to release one of the prisoners to you today in this honor of the Passover festival. And who would you like to have? They already had a name that they'd already put into the mouths of all of the people that were standing around waiting. And the name of the man was Barabbas. Now think about this. His reputation, his, his rap sheet, uh, all of the felonies, the, the crimes that he had committed. When you read his rap sheet, you see that he was part of an insurrection. He was rebellious. He had murdered someone. He had, he had the blood of someone else's hand, uh, life on his hands. And, and, and how can this be anything else than a picture of every one of us as rebels in sin and, 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 and taking the life literally of, of others, not necessarily literally in, in killing somebody, but many times we've slaughtered them in gossip and with malice and with our tongues and with the words that we speak. And the Bible says life and death is in the power of the tongue. And many times we don't use it for life. We use it for death. We use it to harm and to hurt. They said, give us Barabbas. And what is so amazing to me is to think about this guy who one moment is in a dungeon and he, he's been sentenced and he's basically given himself over to what is inevitable. He's going to die. He's going to be executed in the very same fashion that people have been now for several centuries underneath the government of the Roman Empire. It is a, an extremely gruesome painful, overwhelmingly gross kind of crucifixion. It is not humane. You know, over the years in the, the 19th and the 20th centuries in dealing with the criminal element in society and uh, the issue of how we're supposed to deal with those who've premeditated murder on someone else and the issue of capital punishment, it's always been a, a sort of a progressive change to try to do something that was humane. It was... It was the guillotine in the French Revolution called the National Razor, off with their heads. It was, it was crucifixion, which was literally death by drowning. I know that sounds crazy to you, but crucifixion literally is death by smothering or asphyxiation because over a period of time, the lungs fill up with fluid and the, the one being executed has to push him or herself up off of feet that have been nailed to the cross that are in excruciating pain, pulling themselves up by wrists that have been nailed to the wood, screaming out with pain points all over their bodies, but in order to keep breathing, they have to thrust forward to be able to get some oxygen into their lungs because their lungs are filling with fluid, literally drowning from the inside. Blood and water. Asphyxiation. It is extremely gross and gruesome and painful way to die. We've seen people be executed by electric chairs. We've seen gas chambers. Now the latest thing in America is the death by lethal injection. And this is not going to become, I'm not going to chase the rabbit down the trail and talk about 
the New Testament and the death penalty and capital punishment and all those kinds of things, and they're probably differing views in the congregation this morning, and that's really not even the issue. The point is, is that one who was a just man got sentenced and died, and one who was a murdering insurrectionist rebel was set free. But think about the glorious liberty that came to Barabbas when the news came and they said, hey, come on, the crowd wants you. Now, when, when would any crowd in their right mind ever call for a rebel or an insurrectionist or a murderer? And there's something that is demonically inspiring this situation in terms of people screaming and thinking they're doing the right thing. What they don't even realize, though, is this has actually been designed by God, that Jesus would die in the place of guilty, sinful people. Jesus Christ is our substitutionary sacrifice. Everybody say substitution. When you substitute for someone, when, when a teacher is ill and can't be in her classroom, they bring in a substitute. A sub stands in the place of and gives an assignment and to the best of his or her ability carries out what has been instructed by the original teacher. Okay? A substitute is one who takes the place of another. And the amazing thing about this substitute is this is not just like it would be in baseball or in basketball or you, you send in one, the, the, the star is tired and we're already 40 points ahead and so you send in somebody off the second or maybe even the third string. You sub that one out in order to be able to kind of give them a chance. This is not that kind of subbing out. This is not that kind of a substitute. Those are good substitutes because everybody gets a chance to play. But this is a substitute. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. He died for us, but He literally died as us. He took all of our sin and bore it upon Him. The Bible says He became our sin bearer. All of the trespass and the the. the the, the, the breaking of the law of God, the transgression and the penalty was put onto the head of the sacrificial lamb of God. And it was in that moment when we'll celebrate next week when Jesus cries out and says, My God, my God, why have you, why have you turned your back on me? Why have you forsaken me? In that moment of separation and aloneness. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Everybody say the righteous for the unrighteous. Another passage says the just for the unjust, the godly for the ungodly. It, it is this idea of one who deserves life, willingly gives it up in place of those who completely deserve death. And, and this is what we theologically call the vicarious atonement. Jesus lived his life sinlessly, impeccably, perfectly, and yet he lays it down for us who've lived our lives sinfully and rebelliously in every kind of way. He is our substitute. He is the lamb who's been examined and the one who had the final authority because it was the Romans who basically gave the last word and delivered him to be crucified. Pilate said, I have no idea what you guys are trying to do here. This is wrong. I find no fault in this man. But because he gave in to the pressure of the crowd and he listened to the voices of those screaming Barabbas, what an amazing jubilee celebration for Barabbas to have heard the word and he comes out and he sees that somebody 
is dying in his place. Oh my goodness. Can you imagine the, 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 the awareness of when he gets free and he sees who they demanded die? This is, this is a holy man. This is a guy who's raised the dead, who's spoken words of life and given hope into the hearts of poor people. And, and he's raised uh, sons and daughters who've been dead to, to newness of life. And he's, he's preaching a whole new kind of government in the kingdom of God. And this guy has done nothing wrong. He is, he's lived righteously and upright and standing right before God. Can you imagine the conviction that would come on the man Barabbas who knows he's a murderer, who's fully aware that he's sinful? That's the very same kind of understanding that should literally break through onto our hearts when we hear we've been called out of the dungeon, that the death penalty has basically been reversed, it's been rescinded, we've basically been acquitted in the presence of one who has died for us and as us in our place. Last point this morning, this is going to be one of my briefer messages today in this series Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all messianic prophecy. Look at these in your notes. And I, I'm not going to take time to read these. This is such a powerful passage, an understanding of how great God is in speaking the words of the Lord. These were six centuries said before Jesus was even born. Isaiah is prophesying in the court of his cousin Uzziah, who is the king and Isaiah prophesies in 53.8, it says the Messiah will be tried and condemned. And we just read this in this passage today in Mark 15. Isaiah 53.7, we read this to you earlier in this message, that he would be like a sheep before his shearers is silent. He opened not his mouth. He spoke not a word. The Messiah will be silent before his accusers. Mark 15.5, it's fulfilled. Another one. The Messiah will be smitten and spat upon. That's in Isaiah 50 verse 6. We see that happening and fulfilled in Mark 14, 65. And right here again in this passage we just read where they popped him on the head with a, with a reed, dressed him in purple. They mocked him and they made fun of him. Next one, the Messiah will, will be mocked and taunted. Psalm 22 verses 7 and 8. Very descriptive words. I'm not taking time to read, but we see that fulfilled right there in Mark chapter 15, verse 19. Finally, the Messiah, the Messiah will die by crucifixion with pierced hands and feet. That appears in Psalm 22, uh, again in Zechariah 12:10, and you see it fulfilled right here in Mark chapter 15, verse 20. We know that they s delivered him to be crucified, and before it's over with, three spikes. Three Roman nails, one in each wrist, the other one with one foot over the other one, being driven through both of those metatarsals, that upper instep, if you can think about that, that top part of your foot. I just can't even imagine. I, 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 I was doing some yard work yesterday and getting the final cleanup after all the ice storm. I had three of Drew's friends, three young men, all strong, strapping, young 25, 26, 27-year-olds out there helping me. And um, I happened to, to walk by a, a, a one of the tools, one of the garden tools, and it was a hoe, and it just raked across the top of my foot, and it just about bent me over just with, a, with some searing pain. And, and I immediately thought about the message, because I'd been studying about this all week long, how probably 10,000 times worse that Jesus felt when that spike went through not just one foot, but then into another foot. And they continued to drive that thing through and the vibration and the pain that he experienced for us 
in our place. The wrath of God poured out upon him. This morning, listen, please hear this. We're, we're, we're going to get into the detail of the crucifixion next week. But these prophecies cannot be denied. We have over 300 of them in the Old Testament that speak about a, a detail that is so fine, that is so specific, that no other individual in history could have fulfilled these prophecies. The, the statistical probability of anybody else when, 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 we, when we remove and zoom out from uh, the 300 and we see how many there are and then we zoom back in just to the great big three big ones, where he'll be born in Bethlehem, when he will be born at the specific date is given uh, in the book of Daniel. Uh, and when we start to talk about how he will be born, born of a virgin, when we look at those three great big ones, the probability of any man in history being able to fulfill that at that time, in that place... It's, it's nil. It can only be Jesus Christ. When you start to talk about the probability of all of these 300, someone said one time the mathematical probability of this being anyone else in history except Jesus Christ. All of these prophecies that are so specific about mocking and taunting and spitting and crucified with the crown of thorns, the chastisement of our peace being upon Him, being smitten of God, the wrath of God poured out on Him, all of these details being silent before his accusers. And these are just five of the 300 that are in the Old Testament. It would be like stacking up three feet high of silver dollars all over the whole state of Texas, marking one of them with an X, one silver dollar with three feet high all over the whole state of Texas. You stir all those up and you send in a blind person and the probability of him finding that one silver dollar with an X on it, the first time he picks up one, is the probability of this being anybody else besides Jesus Christ in history. It's impossible. It's an impossible probability. It can't happen. It can only be him. So this morning as I close this message about this passage of him being before Pilate, listen to this today. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. For while we were still weak... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by His death, by the death of His Son, much more. Everybody say much more. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That right there, my dear friend, is the amazing promise of God. God's gift to us is that He died for us and He literally died as us. He died in your place and He took away everything that was an accusation to you.